0: Morning, everyone. Good Shabbos. time you can be seated. Yeah, thank you. Shabbos, everybody. So, this morning's Kravda Torah, the reading this morning, can be found in your on page three. What? It's so early. Ah, yeah. Oh, it's three, page three, page three, yeah. Okay. So, for those of you who are uh, new to Ramamu, we're going to be doing—I'll be doing a teaching for the next 10 minutes or so, 10 to 15 minutes—and then we're calling anyone who feels that that teaching speaks to you. That's your ticket to come up and to stand with the Torah for the first Aliyah, known as the open up. Literally, we open up Torah, but it's also an Aliyah. It's a going up. You can come up to the Torah to receive the blessing. And in that iteration of Torah, Torah is not only instructive but also enacted as a blessing. Torah becomes not only telling us about life, but also offering us through its kriah, through the calling of Torah, the possibility that the words might be lived into us through their recitation and through their their utterance. And in that way, Torah becomes um, modeled, uh, a model of the creation of the world, which we'll read in a moment where God spoke the world into being, where speech is creative it's powerful, it's potent. It's not just reading about Torah, but reading Torah itself creates the very reality and the blessing that we are offering. And so we're going to read Torah this morning. But we're reading it through the lens of the particular Hasidic Rebbe, who is Yurtzeit, whose anniversary we are remembering this weekend. And that at the end of the Torah service, Evelyn Goodman will be sharing some stories and teachings from her great, 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 great ancestor, Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, of the town of Berdichev, who was a great Hasidic Rebbe of the second slash third generation of Hasidic or revivalist Rebbe's. He was the student of the student of the founder of Hasidism. The founder of Hasidism, the Baal Shem Tov, born in 1698, died in 1760. His student, the illustrious Magid of Mezrich, Dov of the town of Mezrich, who himself was the Rebbe of Rebbe's, had many, many students. This particular teacher, Levi Yitzchak, from Berdichev, was a student of the Maggid. So one generation removed from the Baal Shem Tov, he wrote prolifically, he taught prolifically, he was larger than life, you'll hear some of the stories, but in his, in his role as a darshan, as an expositor, as a, uh, like as a sermon giver, he has a teaching this morning on the creation of light. The third verse of the Torah, Torah tells us, B'Reshit Bar Elohim et HaAretz, In the beginning of God's creating of heaven and earth, the earth was unformed and void. There was darkness on the face of the deep, on the surface of the deep. And veruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, or the wind of God, swept or hovered above the face of the water. Vayomer Elohim, verse 3, And God said, Yehi or, let there be or, let there be light, or and there was light. Elohim et and God saw the light, and it was good. Kitov, Elohim, and God then separated between the light between the light and the dark. On this, the great 18th century Rebbe, and I'll read this in Hebrew, and then I'll translate. Rabbotainu zihornam livracha, our rabbis of blessed memory taught in the Midrash, in the rabbinic body of law, of, of expansion of text and filling in the white spaces between the black letters. The rabbis of the great Midrash, Breshit Rabah, said on the verse, Vikra Lochim Yom, verse 5, and God called the light day, "Elu Maasehem Those Right? Deeds of the righteous are called day. Eilu ma sehem shel tzadikim. <inaudible> that when the Torah tells us an account, a mythical account about the creation of the world, it's got a moral valence too. It's not just that God separated between the light and the dark and made a day and night, but day refers to the, the righteous deeds, or the deeds of the righteous. And what do we do with Choshech? The Choshech And God called the darkness night. Eilu maasehem shel Night refers to the unskillful acts that destroy the world. And then the Midrash goes on, the Rabbinic Midrash, right? That now Burditchever is quoting. Everybody still with me? We're in the 18th century together. We're really 21st quoting the 18th century, which is quoting the 7th century Midrash. Which one does God desire more? Talmud Omar, Vayar, Lochim, or Kitov. The Midrash in its own, in its own methodology, its own interesting way of understanding verses of the Torah says, which one of the two, the day or the night, does God desire more? And then quotes a piece of an earlier part of the verse, and God saw the light and said, oh, that is good. And now the Breditschever trying to understand that rabbinic homily. The Breditschever says to his audience in the 18th century, (laughs) V'lich'ora yipalei temay misafka lehu be'ezamin chavetz yoter." How could it be that the Midrash would rhetorically imagine God saying, which is greater, that it would then need to prove it from the verse? Isn't it obvious to the Midrash, the British verse says to all of us and to those a couple hundred years ago, shouldn't the Midrash not even need to take that step? Isn't it obvious that the good deeds of the righteous are greater than the bad deeds, the unskillful deeds of of the unrighteous or the not righteous? He, is, of course, is setting something up, right? He's going to teach us something. There's something instructive for him in the very play that the Midrash did. Still with me? This is better than like a straight sermon, right? We're just going to like, we're going to learn it, right? Better than like, you know, write something out. Listen to this. This is good stuff. Okay, whatever. It says like this. The Mevuzar Bir quotes an earlier, a famous medieval commentary, and famous medieval rabbi named Yonah or Jonah of Gerondi. Al Mishnah de Test Yod He says that this great rabbi had a commentary on a Mishnah on a on a rabbinic Mishnaic or second century text. That text interpreted the, the, the Ahavta, the first chapter of the Shema, where we say, and love God with all of your heart, Becholivavcha. levavcha says, right, the Mishnah, to love God with both of your inclinations, the good inclination and the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. It's okay, don't worry. B'shnei And Rabbeinu Yonah said, oved hara. The tov hu shalom, shalom, Umidat hara kast Harasha po el snow kono, lisno of <inaudible> Rabbeinu Yona, this great medieval Spanish commentator on the second century Mishnaic interpretation of the Shema, where we say, love God with all of your heart. It means love God with all of your hearts. Right, That's the Mishnah. That's not Rabbeinu Yonah. That's the Mishnah says. Love God with all of your hearts, with your good inclination and your, quote-unquote, Yetzirah, your evil inclination. What does that mean exactly? So Rabbeinu Yona, this medieval rabbi from Spain, said what it means to love God with your heart that is good means with softness, with sweetness, to bring people closer to love and to truth and to compassion, to act skillfully from a place of devotion and connection. But the Yetzirah, the quote unquote unskillful part of us is the part of us that isn't safe, that acts from a place of anger and jealousy, from sinah and from kaas. And Rabbeinu Yonah says, when the Mishnah says, we say, ve'ah ve'chol levavcha, with all of your hearts, it means serve God both with the part of you that is open, loving, positive, and great, and also with the part of you that is angry and unskillful. Your shadow, if Jung were present. He says, use your shadow in the service of God by being willing to use your anger to motivate you to act against hatred. Use hate against hate. Use the power in you that is the energy of, potentially the energy of unskillful, egoic, grasping, and living in a world of us against in the way that Martin Luther King, Aleva Shalom would say that the work in the world is to remove the obstacles in the way of love and sometimes that means as if using that quality that isn't always obviously love, to generate that kind of energy for the sake of love to use that says Rabbeinu Yonah, so what is the British we're going to do with that and how do we get back to Genesis I know you're wondering that says, this to me, he says, is how to understand the Midrash that asked rhetorically, which one does God want more? The acts of the righteous or the acts of the un or not yet righteous? He says, Right, he says, and God called day, right, called light day, That is the quality of those who want to bring people close, who act from a place of gentle persuasion. And to evening he called, right to dark he called evening, that is the unrighteous, the evil. He says, and I'm going to paraphrase the rest of this. He says, when the midrash when the rabbinic expansion of the text said that god called light day and that's the righteous way of being in the world and darkness he called night and that's the way of of anger and of hatred when the midrash said which one does god want more and then proves it it didn't mean says the prediccher and this is a beautiful stretch i don't know that it's the simple meaning but it's a beautiful stretch said, of course, the argument is not about whether or not God wants us to be loving or for us to be Rishaim. That's not the question of the text. That's obvious. Of course God wants us to be good. But, says the Breditchever, should we use the way of the Rishaim? Should we use the way of the Yetzirah, even though the Mishnah said we should serve God with both of our inclinations, the one that is loving and wants to come close, and also serve God with that other quality that's a little bit more like shadow. Which one of those two says the Breditsur? That's the Midrash's question. Should we be engaging in the world, even though the Mishnah said we should engage with our shadow? Is that really, though, a good idea? That's the question of the Midrash. Not whether or not we should be like the righteous or be like the ones who engage with anger and with hatred. That, of course, that's not a question that's up for grabs in the Midrash. Of course we should be like the righteous. That's not the rhetorical question of the Midrash. The question is, in both instances where we are good people, but the Torah said, serve God with both of these qualities. But really, in the end, which one is the one that God wants? For us to act from a place of righteous indignation and anger even if it's for a good cause? Or should we try our best under all circumstances to be loving, to find words that are words that bring close? Both of them are valid according to this reading, using anger for the sake of fighting injustice. But there is residue from that. There is residue that remains on the soul that uses even skillfully The the way of Sin'a and kaas and anger and retribution. We can work with it. We can work with the shadow. Greater is the light that comes from the dark, says the Zohar. But which one of them does God, love, universal vision embrace? It's this one. And so the prediction ends this really deep, slightly complex, but important teaching on darkness and light to say that there's room in this world for us to incorporate and integrate darkness shadow qualities of the ego qualities of the self qualities of our own spiritual practice that themselves might not make it into like you know the light world the world of light it's not all light but there's danger says the traditioner there's something right that's not the ideal way to engage in his world So I think the British now would want us to talk about it for a couple minutes and see if this lands for you. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe think, you know what, British If you were living now, you would know how hard it is not to be angry. If you were living right now, British and you saw what went on a year ago tomorrow and the kind of forces that we are fighting against in this world, you would not say what you would say. You would actually invert the Midrash. You would say, which one of them does God say is more desirable? Of course, he can't say that, because the Torah says, him la or yom." God wants and says, only the light is kitov. But how do you engage now with the Britishvert? Bring him into the room. Is it speaking to you? Do you find yourself sometimes engaging that quality in debate with yourself, with your family, in your community, writ large in the world, say, you know what? I think it's time for us to get pissed. You find yourself saying, no, that doesn't really work that long until I get exhausted Because being angry takes so much energy. How do we work with this teaching? Yeah. Iva, so speak up. Yeah.
1: it was still sitting in Lockheed Martin. And at the end of the meeting, I was, had an opportunity to talk to the director of sustainability of Lockheed Martin. And I had an opportunity to engage in a conversation or to just walk away pissed, enraged, offended, all these things, right? And I, but he was such a nice man he was starting his career in this new position at Lockheed Martin. So I engaged him in a conversation. And I engaged him in a conversation about, well, truthfully to say, I feel like I'm in the belly of the beast here. And I'm really conflicted. How do you what do you think about armament, about disarmament? How, what What's? What do you think? Can we live in a world without arms? Can we invoke and create a culture of human rights learning? Can we be in the possibility? And I'm exhausted, and I'm troubled, and I'm conflicted, and i'm asking like how can i continue this dialogue with the head of sustainability of lockheed martin so that's that's my week
0: we're just we're going to just pass around and uh i want to get through as many of you that want to speak in the next 10 minutes so if you could just be mindful thank you
2: the thing that jumps out for me here is I find very comforting this idea that God creates these two things and then needs to take a second to decide which one's better. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, well, clearly that was a mistake. Let's do this. The idea that both of those things are going to be there all the time and in every moment, you're not going to leave one behind. You're not going to. I often think to myself, well, if I could be always in the gentle way. If I could be that person, would it be better? And everyone who knows me knows that I'm not always that person. But the idea that it's not supposed to be left behind, it's not supposed to be something that you grow out of. It's something that you bring into every moment, and even God had to think about which one was going to be better.
0: Beautiful. And that... and. Just to be clear with the Britishva i don't want to make the British was not arguing that there 's no place for the dark. He was clearly saying that we are invited because of that teaching from Vinaona and from the Mishnah to use that yetsarah, that kind of whatever we call the evil inclination that egoic or short, but in the end, I think the teaching here is that ultimately right what will win and the one is the is the light place, but the question of when to use them and how often and choice moment to moment to moment. Yeah, so I know that Larry, we'll move from Larry, and, and there are people on the other side of the shul also,
3: on the light side of the shul. Like, in the dark side, they're both light. So building on your point about that there is darkness and um, I've come to recognize that there's information in the darkness. And if I run away from it, if I push it away, uh, one, it's there, and I just don't recognize it. So I don't know how to deal with it skillfully. But even more so, anger and sadness and fear and grief are all human emotions. They may be unpleasant or difficult emotions. The question is, how, how do we deal with them? And it is not by pushing them away. It's by feeling them and looking at them and um, maybe taking some of the energy, as you said, from them and with the information that you learn. And then the question is, how do you bring it out that out into the world? And I think the beauty of um, the Burdichev is that it is best to be kind to that. And if you can be kind to those feelings, then you can take it out with some amount of kindness. So how do you be angry and yet not um, demolish what you're express, to whom you're expressing your anger or what you're expressing your anger? And not easy.
0: Not easy. So alive, it's so alive, especially when we're dealing not with just with individual but structural issues that, that require a much bigger frame. Friends, I'm gonna, I am going to—I know the hands are up. We're going to go, if you could be brief, and we'll move around so we can, everybody can have a chance to
1: say. I'm trying to think of what the Vedishava would do today. And there's a story of when he was traveling in a cart, they threw dung at him, and they threw dung at his family. And he went, and his followers were angry, and they were going to, angry at God and he went to Shul to pray for them and he said this woman wanted to make her husband happy and perhaps that's what he would do and go to Shul and pray for Trump and pray for the evil forces that we have and hopefully that things will change.
0: Just, just give it to Rachel and then we'll move from Rachel.
1: Uh, thanks for the mic so we can all hear. This is dynamite. I just want to say that uh, some of these pronouncements uh, uh, do not consider that someone in power who is evil and angry very often tells people who are being oppressed um, you don't know I know more than you do why can't you be soft and loving and uh i always look at the power please god excuse me but i always look at how much power the person telling me to calm down has and how i can be subversive
0: so so i, I i'm so happy i'm so happy that rachel uh, spoke that truth and often you know the the power the the, the framing of power and and what's legitimate or illegitimate is absolutely the, 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 the ground against which some of these foregrounds appear. And certainly, we, we all know experiences from when we're very young, where those who were more powerful than us said, your anger was not legitimate. Right? That's one of the most primal experiences of children, is that your anger is, not, is scary. Right? Anger is scary. And certainly, in context of much bigger social structures, where anger is a motivator to change, Right, and that's clearly the legitimate and holy usage of anger um, is denied, is invalidated, is you're made to feel crazy. Mm -hmm. Right, those kinds of experiences are very. So that's very much. The conversation to have with the Breditschever, right, very much, to say, were you meaning, what, what kind of anger were you saying wasn't legitimate? Because he clearly was saying there was legitimate anger, but when does that legitimate anger become a thing that burns itself up? And, and certainly, I think that was the broader conversation for him. When are those who are part of dismantling structures that need to be dismantled, when do they turn that off? And is it possible to turn that off? And all of us know experiences of of letting that energy do good in the world, but then not being able, once that energy has been released, to know how to to hold it in a healthy way when it's no longer there. But that's such an important piece for you to bring. And I, I, I have I have to go over here. I promised that I was gonna go over here. They had their hands up, and we have only room for it. So Kim had her hand up. Um, Friends, I just wanna let you know that every Saturday morning at nine o'clock, we have Torah <laughs> study. And it's, it's a robust conversation too, and just let you know that so that we can, if you, if you feel like I didn't get my, my Torah study, you know, we have that.
4: Yeah. It was great. I was there this morning. Um, so just, I think, so just to bring a psychological perspective. So I think the Bert, River would like, um, parts work, which is something that I'm trained in. And there's this idea that like anger is actually, um, a protective part and that your anger knows your worth right it knows that it's there's there's or that it knows worth it knows there's something worth fighting for and usually it's a defense against a sense of annihilation and parts it, the, I, there's this idea that like there are parts that are like trying to help us and a self that's sort of like a soul and the natural energy of of the soul has courage within it courage and connection Right so when these parts take over and they become extreme you lose that sense of connection with 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 the with the self energy but if you can actually look if you can get to know and befriend your anger and understand what, that it's really defending against annihilation and get in touch with those feelings then you can actually bring both the dark and the light together and align it with the courage inside of you to actually bring it into a world that actually can create a different kind of reality.
0: so want I want I want to I take Kim and I'm sorry I know there are a lot of hands I'm sorry but we, we, we run over way over time if we don't uh, pull it in so, so here the um, so I wanted to share apropos of Kim's teaching and some of the things that've already been said that the Torah that's moving me the most right now in my life is a book by someone named Shai, which means gift and his last name is Or, Shai Or The Gift of Light and he's a a well-known expert in Israel on parenting and wrote a book years ago called Horut Kim Asen Isim, Parenting as a Miracle Journey and in the book he describes his own journey um, from working in uh in Israel, in economics, and kind of in the financial sector, and then had an awakening from his children about his own childhood and who he was. And the book is essentially very much what Kim is saying, but I'll just give it in a slightly different valence. But also, bring a, really want to focus on a moment in this journey that you highlighted. And in his reading of the child, the child comes into the world like very much like what Kim said: children come into the world with an essential and legitimate experience that they deserve seven basic needs. And he goes through the seven basic needs. And children from the beginning are making that request of the world. And they make that request without without any resistance whatsoever. They're consistently requesting it. They feel they deserve those seven things that they don't have. They don't come into the world feeling like, oh, someone adores me. But they know that they deserve adoration. And so they make that request from that courage place. When the request is not heard, they begin and they move into the second stage, which is demand. And demand runs the gamut of how it shows up. They demand by acting out. They demand by yelling. They demand by making noise. They demand by failing, by overly succeeding. They make all kinds of ways of demanding that we notice the seven basic things that they really, really need. And children will do anything they can to get those seven things, even if, right, we all need nutrients, we need calories, but we don't all get them from places that really nourish. They'll get all kinds of ways to get those needs met. And demanding and demanding and demanding. But here, as he said, the most dangerous moment in a human's life, for adults for sure, is the moment we feel that the demand can no longer be met. The demand we've been asking and asking and screaming and protesting and fighting and screaming and screaming and no one hears the moment of resignation where they say, you know what, I don't need it anyway. Or it's not worth it. The moment where he said the child, cum adult, becomes one who resigns and says, ah, forget it who needs any of that my anger i was screaming nobody listened i was pounding i was you name it and the moment we resign and we give it up completely said so that's the moment where we forget those basic needs and we become lost he said in the world of secondary third fourth level needs that don't really meet what we really wanted. And we forget it. We've resigned it so far that we don't even remember the feeling of wanting that. And so anger comes in the stage of usually of demanding, of some protective saying, hey. And certainly in the case of social justice and other things that are so prominently featured today of all days, here in the Jewish community and broadly, We can make our life about anti-Semitism. We can make our life, and certainly there's good reason for it at this moment in Jewish history. Right? We have never before seen the levels of hatred towards Jews in this country. We've never seen it. 66% of Jews that are polled right now, 66% say that they feel much, much more afraid about their well-being than they did one year ago today. So fear is rising. And certainly there's a way to fight the darkness with darkness. There's a way to fight against our basic loss of that need, the need for safety, using anger, and it's legitimate. And this morning's Aliyah is both to engage your anger in a healthy way, and if you have engaged in a healthy way, the blessing of the Torah is to come back to light. To have both of them. That if you're not yet angry, get angry. But if you've been angry, maybe you need to bring it back a little bit. Because one without the other won't work. We'll burn out. We won't know when to turn it off. To use it skillfully, to use all of those things skillfully, is this morning's first aliyah, the creation of heaven and earth, light and dark, righteous and not yet righteous, If that speaks to you of anything that we said this morning, speaks to you and you would like to stand with Torah this morning, please come forward for the first Aliyah.